Glad everybody is here this morning. I'm glad to be back. I've been on vacation um, with my wife's family and my family into my parents' house. So that's where I've been uh, during the summer. Uh, but I'm back now for a week or two. <coughs> now, um, Randall has been here every week. I, I guess he spent all his vacation time going to Israel. Is that, is that what happened, Randall? I don't know. Uh, when you're self-employed, there is no vacation. There are no vacations for the Wilchers, uh, at least for Randall Wilcher. Um, so he has to work, but uh, those of us who are teachers, we have things we have to do in the summer. It's not like we have totally off. Can I get a witness for teachers? <laughs> and they don't pay us in the summer, so get over it, you know? All right. Um, we're hopefully going to cover John chapter 14 and, and a lot of 15 uh, this week, and then next week we'll do 16 and 17 of John. So uh, let's start reading in John chapter 14, and um, I got a, I've got an issue to raise uh, that I'm not, I'd be interested to know how many people know about this issue from John chapter 14. So uh, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm reading from uh, the NIV, so when we get to verse 2, this is the key text. My father's house has plenty of room, NIV says. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the, to the place where I am going. So this is um, Jesus talking to his disciples. They're during the Last Supper, uh, if Randall taught that part right. Um, it's during the Last Supper, right before Passover. I'm not sure what he said. We need to talk about that after class. Um, and he's trying to comfort them. He knows that he is going to die, be raised, ascend to heaven, that he's going to be away from them. So he's trying to give them comfort. He knows, uh, even though his last statement, he says, you know the way to the place I'm going. Uh, the very next verse, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? <laughs> so the disciples still are, you know, I think Jesus said that to, to kind of give them a chance to say, hey, you don't know everything yet. There's still some things you, you don't know. But uh, the thing that's interesting to me, just because of how this verse has played into Christian uh, concepts of the afterlife, uh, this is the only verse where um, the Greek word uh, mone is used. Okay, So I'm going to write it up in Greek just to look fancy. Uh, and it's from the same root as a Greek word minnow, which means to stay or remain or abide. And this is the noun form. So uh, this word in Greek means a place to stay. So Jesus says, in my father's house, there are many monae, monai, plural. There are many places to stay. Now, the, the Latin for the Latin translation is called the Vulgate, which was used for a long time in, in church history. 
translated this in Latin as mansione, which I don't know Latin, so I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's where we get our English word mansion. So when the King James in 1611 translated this verse into English, they said, in my father's, anybody have a King James version? Or a new King James, they keep it the same. Anybody? There we go. Somebody has a King James. In my father's house are many mansions. This is the only, as I think, this is the only verse in the Bible that has the word mansion. And it's only in the King James. Any other translation is going to say, in my father's house are many rooms. There's plenty of room in my father's house. Did you guys know that? Now, I, I don't know if you'll be angry with me for taking away your mansion. <laughs> I want to say you should be angry with the person who taught you you were getting a mansion when you're not getting a mansion. There's a limit on property taxes. <laughs> so, and what about our favorite song? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> our favorite song, I'm Satisfied with... Just a cottage. Just a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half <laughs> bath below. <laughs> a little silver and a little bit more gold. But in that city where the ransom, ransom will shine, I want a... With silver lining. I want a gold mansion that has silver lining. Oh, won't that be great? A gold mansion with silver lining. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Now, when the King James translators, influenced by the Latin, translated that word mansion in 1611, guess what the word mansion meant? It meant a room. Okay, so they translated it correctly. It, English has changed, and now the word mansion means a big, huge house. And Jesus never said that. It's a misunderstanding of an English word translating a Greek word through Latin. Yeah, well... <laughs> I have a couple. I have a couple jokes. I love the man. I love the heaven jokes. A couple mansion jokes. One is uh, I think I. I don't know if I've ever told these. So I don't know how it's going to go. But um, one guy, they take him, you know, on his tour. Like he sees all these big mansions, and they get to his place. It's just a shack, and he's like, "How come everybody else gets a mansion?" And Peter says, "Well, we did the best with what you sent." Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, another one is uh, Nick Saban dies and goes to heaven, which I know is a stretch. Um, but uh, he's the uh, head coach of Alabama. Good Catholic boy. He dies and goes to heaven, and they show him his mansion, and it's it's crimson, red, whatever the color that is. It's it's got, I guess, elephants. You know, at the entryway and everything, and it's got Alabama all over, big, huge Alabama flag, and it's up on a hill, and he's like, okay, this looks pretty nice. So he gets in his mansion, and he looks over on the other hill, and there's a bigger mansion, 
that's orange. <laughs> it's got Tennessee flags all over it. And he's like, this is not heaven for me. How come Phil Fulmer's mansion's bigger than mine and all orange? And they said, that's, that's God's house. <laughs> Go big orange. <laughs> hey, I don't get to tell my preacher jokes very often. I don't preach, so. Um, okay, we have a song, Mansions Over the Hilltop. We have Mansion, Robe, and Crown. We have these songs about mansions. My question is, um, how, how is our concept of the afterlife do you think it's important that we take that down several notches to where our concept of the afterlife is that, you know, you don't want to be in your own mansion. You want to be in the Father's house with God and Jesus. Why do you want to be in your own mansion when, when Jesus says in my Father's house? It doesn't even make sense in the King James, my Father's house are many mansions. Um, if you understand the Father's house as a house, uh, does it matter? doesn't matter if we think about the afterlife as a mansion that's gold with silver lining versus just being with God and Jesus. We'll go back here and then up here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So our, our whole concept of, of heaven and, and the way the Bible reveals it to us is going to have some, it's not going to be exactly, I mean, they're going to have to use some symbols, right? So nobody knows, nobody knows exactly what it will be like, right? But we're given these metaphors or these analogies. Um, I'm just wondering if it, if you think it does make a difference about how you think about what it's going to be versus the mansion. Yeah, what are you going to say? I was just going to say, it's like like the writer of Revelation, like John, he had to describe it in some way that people would realize how wonderful, yeah. how glorious it yeah. would be. And we, we can't even imagine I think, what, it, what it will be like. So you have gold and jewels. And and, and that, that song that we that you talked about a yeah. ago may have been written during the Right. Right. You're in a big. You're in a little church in Podunk, Arkansas. I don't know where you you are, but I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with a cottage below because you're living in a cottage. A little silver and a little gold, but in the next life, I'm going to have a mansion, a gold mansion with silver and wine. Part of it too, if you focus on self. You know, what do I want? I've had a hard life. I've struggled. I really, I'm just anticipating that I'm going to be uh, released from all the burdens of this world and be able to enjoy the benefits of eternity. The flip side of that is it's all about who God is and what he's preparing and and what a beautiful pursuit of the journey of life is, as Josh talked about today, that even in the most difficult times, we're still being drawn into his presence. And to me, it's just a contrast of, of our 
our spiritual focus. One is of self and how I'm going to benefit. The other is how can I honor Jesus on my journey of life through the midst of what is really challenging. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? So is the focus on what I'm going to get because my life is hard and I want something better versus a focus on, yeah, my life may be hard, but I, I can see a blessing now and I, that one day farther along we'll, we'll all understand it or something like that. I can put all these songs. Um, yeah, that's good. Other thoughts on that? Yeah. That I've, I've always had a problem with it. <clears throat> with all the streets are paved with gold. And I think, how precious could gold be if we're paving with it? Yeah. <laughs> you know. There's a guy that brought a suitcase of gold to heaven, and St. <coughs> Peter opens it, and he's like, Why'd you bring pavement? Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got all kinds of jokes, people. These are, <laughs> these are coming. I grew up in a church that told jokes, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one thing that's helpful for me to think about the new heavens, new earth, is to think about the garden. And there's no discussion about, you know, abiding. There's no discussion about them striving. They just are there, and they're just enjoying yeah. being with God and walking with Him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, that brings up another thought I had is a lot of you are probably familiar with, it was to me a new thought from about maybe 10 to 15 years ago, that the Bible talks a lot about the next life as new heavens and new earth. New heavens and new earth. And the question is, why do we need a new earth for when we're all going to be living in heaven? Uh, so what I learned is that the Bible teaches maybe, now I don't even want to say maybe, the Bible teaches this it's just that our our view of the afterlife has been influenced by Greek Platonic thought that, now my dad disagrees with me and he says he's going to go to heaven when he dies he says you can go to a new earth if you want to but he's going to heaven <laughs> so I mean I don't I took away your mansion I don't want to take away heaven if you feel strongly about that but uh <laughs> But there is biblical language about new heavens and a new earth and a more earthly, physical depiction of what our future looks like. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's going up to heaven, I assume, uh, to prepare a place that where I am, there you may be also. So, well, it may be one and the same because separation took place when sin occurred. Heavenly beings got separated right. from us, and the earth started decaying rather than being the perfect place. So it might just be putting it all back together like he intended. So, yeah, in my father's house, and that same um, phrase is used in John chapter 2, verse 16, <clears throat> when Jesus cleanses the temple, and he says, You have turned my father's house into a den of robbers. So the father's house refers to the temple which is the temple symbolizes where heaven and earth overlap and meet so 
the goal is to have heaven and earth back together the way it was intended in the garden. Um, and so the way N.T. Wright, who writes on this a lot, says it is, yeah, you go to heaven when you die, but you just don't stay there. So <laughs> you go to heaven when you die, uh, immediately when you die. But when Jesus comes back in the book of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem comes down. And so we have a new heavens and a new earth. And so it's a more physical thinking about what, what will heaven be. And like I've said before, nobody knows exactly what it's going to be, and we just want to be there, right? You just want to be there. Um, and you're not disappointed. We won't, nobody will be disappointed with no mansion and if, if it's more earthly and not just floating on a cloud playing a harp, which doesn't sound very good to me anyway. Um, harp music. I've never listened to harp music on, on purpose. Uh, that's a shame. I, I'm, I'm sorry for the harp players in, in the room, but I think it's a tough instrument to play. Yes? Yeah, what we need, we need somebody to go and come back and tell us what it's like. I think we do need to change and amend some of our songs. Um, maybe instead of mansion over the hilltop, uh, mansion just over the county line would be more appropriate for <laughs> some of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in Florida. Uh, I, I mean, man, I live in a mansion compared to some people. Um, and a lot of heaven talk is as if heaven is our goal it, it kind of I, you know doesn't matter um, I like what Mike said that the more I think about it the more emphasis for me it puts on how I live now versus maybe you know I kind of used to think of this life as kind of like a probationary period where we just kind of try to sin as less as you can so maybe you can go to heaven when you die um, but I think I think of let's make heaven in some ways God's will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven is 
let's make the church a place where the will of God is done now and not and not let God figure out what's going to happen later something like that any other thoughts on that Josh's sermon on yeah. 15 he's, and I never heard this before life is a rehearsal for heaven not a tryout life is a rehearsal for heaven not a tryout yeah I like that yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah that's good Josh says good things every now and then a lot of times most of the time vast majority of the time <laughs> I make these offhanded comments and people are going to misunderstand and think I don't he's a friend okay So Thomas says to him in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, a couple things in here. Uh, One of the most famous verses uh, in the Bible, probably, is Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Um, We live in a culture that emphasizes and prizes tolerance. Um, the only unfortunate thing about that in my mind is I think tolerance is a, can be a good thing as long as you don't gloss over some important differences of belief that, that we have. I think the problem has been that maybe in Christianity and maybe other religions as well, but I'm most familiar with Christianity, it's become like, hey, we're right and everybody else is wrong and you guys need to change and be like us or you're gonna go to hell forever, right? And so that's seen as being intolerant because it's presented not so much in a loving way as we found something that we think is true and and blesses our lives and it will bless yours too and becomes more of you're wrong and we're right and you need to change and be like us. Um, So maybe that's why some people don't, they don't really like that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, The way I handle this in my classes at Lipscomb is I just read the text. You can argue with Jesus. I I mean, I just say that's what Jesus said. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. Um, We have to deal with what Jesus said um, and try to understand it and try to graciously present our truth, what we have found to be true. I, I think it's important to note that Jesus did not say this at a gathering of interfaith religious meeting in his in his hometown or something like that he's saying it to his disciples who he wants to encourage 
as, hey, you, you're, I'm going to leave, but you're on the right team. I'm the way. People are going to persecute you. People are going to say, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, I'm not the Messiah that people expected. Um, and so it's going to be, it's going to be tough. There's going to be questions, but I'm assuring you, I am the way and the truth in life. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, don't be discouraged by that. So he's not, he's not leading with this at an interfaith thing, and we might not want to lead with this at an interfaith thing either. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. So we keep this in context, but we do affirm what we believe to be the truth. Um, and I haven't had a lot of opportunities to have interfaith or interreligious dialogue with people, but when I do, I try to think about this is what I believe to be true. And I don't think it really helps for us to put aside what we believe to be true. Um, and I wouldn't expect somebody in another religion to put aside what they believe to be true. I'm saying, let's come, we can have a conversation. I think we should have conversations. I want to hear what you believe, and I want to tell you what I believe. And we're not trying to evangelize each other in this setting. We're just trying to understand each other. Um, and through understanding, you know, my hope is that as yeah, I would hope you would believe like I believe. And if you don't believe like I believe, then that's up to God. Uh, it's not my decision to be judgmental about that. Um, but I believe Jesus is the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward here. Um, I don't think you can translate it, Jesus is a way, for example. <laughs> um, no one comes to the Father except through me. Is, I, think that's, I think that's what he's saying. Um, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a problematic text for some in our culture that prizes tolerance. Uh, and, you know, if you want to see all, all religions as different paths that are leading to the same, like spokes on a wheel, that all are going to end up in the same place, there are a lot of similarities between major religions at the surface level. Uh, but the details, the devils and the, de the details are important, and the details are different, and you, you live your life differently if you follow Jesus. It should. We don't always, versus if you follow Buddha or some other person or religion or Muhammad. It's going to make it like it kind of goes back to it's more about how you live your life now 
I could bracket out all the questions of what's going to happen after you die, and I think it's important because of how you live your life now. That's what I would speak to. Somebody's got to have some thoughts on this, or rebukes. Do you guys feel the tension of that, or? Yeah, Sandy. That's, that's a great comment. So I think the mistake we've made is we've, we've made it all about believing the right things. And the goal is to believe, I've got to believe the right things. I've got to believe that the right things about Jesus and God and the Bible and how to do church and all these things. And it's, it's not just that, or may not, it's, it's that your, your faith in Jesus isn't just a belief, a thought, it's a pledge of allegiance to the way Jesus lived that changes how you live your life and how you think about your priorities. And it's all inclusive. It's not just an, an added belief that you add to everything else you believe. It's a belief, a faith that's pledging allegiance to this way of living that he illustrates. I think that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's not a one-way street either. Verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Yeah. Um, you may ask, 14, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Um, and um, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Yeah. Right? So there's not, it's not just a one-way street. Yeah, it's not just us doing it. We, he promises, we'll get to this, the promise of the Spirit to be with us, um, which, yeah, that's a, that's a great segue into this discussion because have you ever thought, and I think I've heard this said and I think I've thought it, wouldn't it have been better to been around when Jesus was alive? Do you think it would have been better? Because Jesus says here, it's going to be better when I'm gone because when I'm gone, I will send the Spirit the Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Spirit will remind you of the things that I've said. You will do greater things than I. How can that be right? Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have done. Yeah. Matthew 7, 14 says, something about. I think a lot of people don't be surprised. 
straight, because straight is the gate and there is the way which leads into life. And few there be the fighters and brawlers yeah. these instructions. Yeah. It's a difficult it's a difficult path. It's not easy. You're gonna have to walk against the grain for sure. It's almost like a little parental hyperbole as he's talking to his children and he's about to leave that you'll do greater things than I am. So maybe some hyperbole there? Literally, I mean he's yeah. raised people from the dead, he's yeah. turned water to wine. He's I wonder if he, he means like when he's around it's all him, right? And and the disciples, even in this text, are asking questions that he's having to correct. So the people that were with Jesus at the time didn't understand it well enough to live it out and be his representatives and required the gift of the Spirit. And after Acts chapter 2, the apostles turned from doofuses into these great evangelists and, well, Peter messes up a few times even afterwards but uh, with the Gentiles but um, maybe you know it's like as a teacher you try to you kind of teach somebody to say what you would say in that situation not exactly but you know you're kind of multiplying what you can do as one person so maybe Jesus is teaching us to go out and be Jesus and in that sense we're doing greater things because we are multiplying what Jesus can do in all the places that you live and exist. Yeah. I think you Yeah. And you see, if you read it, you feel and see that tension with this infantile church. Still want to be a baby, but still have to grow up. Yeah. And, and you see it with Peter, especially. Yeah. I mean, like you said, with the Gentiles, you know, he was like, Lord, I'm going to be with you to the end, right? Like, yeah. Like later on, oh, God taught me how to do this thing, y'all. I still don't respect no person. Get to, get to the church, and oh, I got to get up. Yeah, I know. I can't eat with you. Yeah. What does it look like to live out the Christ life in this life? Yeah. Even that man who walked with Jesus for three years, told him he was going to die with him, watched, saw him when he resurrected, still didn't know how to do it 20 some odd years later. So could it be that we are in a better position? I mean, maybe we don't want to say that because that gives us more responsibility. We'd like, oh, if I'd lived back then, I'd believe and I wouldn't doubt and blah, blah, blah. But um, we have the Gospels, which they didn't, were not written. So we have their testimony to all the things that Jesus did and their better understanding of, you know, even John says we didn't understand at the time. We only understood this later. Uh, so could it be that we are in a good position? We're in the, we're in the position to live this out in a, in a strong way. Yeah, that's true. Because we were programmed earlier on, all to worry about that. Yeah. We do need to add some Old Testament classes to our... Yeah, 
Sunday morning schedule. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Jesus says, anything you ask in my name, I will do. Is that true? Anything? Anything you ask in my name um, means it has to be Jesus-shaped, Jesus-purposed. has to be in the, it can't just be anything you want, right? And sometimes it's hard to understand, you know, why prayers are not answered. Um, and I've heard people say, well, they are answered. And in some ways that's true. Uh, sometimes the answer is no. But that's, Jesus doesn't say, I'll answer it, maybe no. He says, anything you ask, I'll do uh, in my name. Yeah, uh, so it, like, you know, if you see people protesting something politically or something, they say, not in my name means, uh, I'm, this is not what I represent. You're not representing me when you're making these decisions. This is, I don't want you to do that in my name. So to do something in somebody's name means based upon the person, their character, what, what they want, what their will is. So, I can't, yeah. can't pray to kill your neighbor. Yeah, may my neighbor may strike my neighbor dead yeah. would not be. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> That's a good thing too. It's a good thing. We have a lot of dead people. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live in your neighborhood. Yeah. I might live in your neighborhood. I don't even know. Okay, let's read a few more verses here. Uh, verse 15 was a famous verse in my church growing up. If you love me, keep my commands. We were about keeping the commands. If you love me, you're going to keep the commands. It's not good enough just to say you love Jesus. But that's true. There's some truth to that. Um, it's back to what Sandy said. It's not just about saying you love Jesus. It's about following the life. Uh, giving, loving your enemies, loving your neighbor, all that, as, as you love yourself. If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate, my translation says. Uh, the Greek word is paraclete. I don't know if you've heard that term before, paraclete. Um, which the root meaning of that is to call somebody beside you for help. And it, could, it has a lot of different shades of meaning. It can be like a, a lawyer that you call for help, but also a comforter, anybody that you would call when you're in trouble to, to help you. Um, and so this is one of the terms that's used for the Holy Spirit, is that the Spirit is a person who comes alongside to provide us help um, in the absence of Jesus. Uh, so that's a strong promise. Um, he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Um, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of the world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes to me, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father's commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Which is an odd way to end that chapter. Uh, apparently, they get up to leave, and then Jesus keeps talking uh, <laughs> as they're walking out. Um, so, um, we have the promise of the Spirit. Um, I love the, the, the peace that the world cannot give, uh, Jesus gives. It goes beyond our understanding. And the Spirit will remind them of everything that Jesus did and said. So, in some sense, we are in a better position now that we have the Gospels. Um, okay. Two minutes for chapter 15. Um, a famous passage in John. But um, can anybody in here who's a gardener tell us why you would prune a plant? It grows better. You get a better harvest. Is pruning necessary? It's necessary if you want the plant to be everything the plant can be. Like a rose bush is going to look better if it doesn't just snaggle together and that type of thing. You might have maybe more roses if you don't prune, but not as pretty. Or you have more when you prune. More when you prune. Yeah, so it goes the wrong way. Isn't that a great metaphor for what God does to us? So he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, any branch that is bearing fruit will be pruned so that it will bear more fruit. So there are, Jesus is telling the disciples to expect times of pruning. He talks about the world will not accept you. Uh, don't be surprised by that. Uh, why It didn't accept me. Why do you think it would accept those who believe in me? But that God will prune the vines uh, so that they become, they grow more into the direction. Maybe, maybe uh, the way I think about it, it's not as, it's more, if I were just live and everything happened the way I want it to happen, I'd become pretty selfish. Um, pretty self-centered, sometimes it takes that pruning to make me look outside myself, something like that. All right, good stuff. Uh, we'll come back next week if you can, and uh, we'll go 16 and 17. Thanks for your attendance and participation today.